Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to day five, the final day of the inaugural Hexagon Cup here from the Madrid Arena in the heart of Spain. Buenos. Ah, I'm in Madrid, just leaving the uh, Hotel Ribera del Manzanares and walking along the banks of Madrid's uh, slightly underwhelming central river that flows through the Spanish capital city. Um, I don't know how this podcast is going to work actually because uh, I haven't got a clue how it's going to work obviously so there's no because there's no reasons and rationale to that I just don't know how it's going to work um, the vague plan is uh, to hear from Pete at some point um, who's still in the Isle of Man but I think he's heading fairly soon I think I'm right in saying off to a Trinity training camp probably in Spain although I don't know um, and to hear definitely from David who is I think arrived now in Switzerland for the UCI commenta- TV commentators course that I should have been attending and if you heard last the last podcast we did you'll find out you'll know already the reason why uh, I'm not attending it um, so uh, so David will be reporting basically from uh, at some point from Switzerland on the various learnings that he has made <coughs> while he's on that course and I am here uh, in Madrid to introduce you to uh, the uh, fascinating world of paddle. This is Never Strays Far with Pete Kenyuk, David Miller and Ned Bolton. Right, okay, so that was a good opening. Um, yeah, I, I, I literally don't know how this is going to work. I'll start by just saying that I learned something quite interesting about Madrid that uh, I never knew, that the, the Spanish capital city was only a, a little town of 10,000 inhabitants until the oh, 16th century, I think, when King Philip II declared that Madrid should be the capital of the Spanish kingdom. Uh, and shunned the attentions of uh, the rival attentions of uh, other cities, which would have been perhaps more suited and were at the time much more strategically important and had big castles already that, that, that would have kind of made them fitting seats for the centre of power in Spain. But for various different political and mostly geographical reasons, they chose to locate the Spanish capital in Spain, in, obviously in Spain, in Madrid, right in the middle of the Iberian Peninsula, um, to straddle, to look each way, to make it difficult for uh, attacking forces and armies to actually penetrate that deep into the interior, to sack the capital, um, and uh, to draw the country together in kind of, you know, rather obvious geographical way. But it's, yeah, I thought it was rather interesting. And one of the, one of the reasons why Madrid is... In that regard, a kind of created capital city, younger in many ways, although it's obviously a long time ago, than most of the other big European capitals. Um, Historically, you think of Rome or even London or Paris. Um, They all have, 
you know, significant populations that date much, much further back than Madrid. Um, and the one of the reasons why Madrid uh, wasn't an obvious choice in some ways is it's a river that flows through the middle. It's piddling the Manzanares, uh, which I'm walking alongside now on a Sunday morning with people out on their bikes and strolling along. It's just like a mountain stream that trickles through the middle of Madrid. You couldn't possibly navigate it. No way you could get a ship down there. Um, Sandbanks, sort of left, right and centre. and Maybe the water's a bit low at the moment, but you could just about, if you were really skillful, I suppose, go to Decathlon and buy a canoe and uh, kind of pass through the centre of Madrid. But every now and again, um, uh, you would probably bottom out and scrape the bottom of your new Decathlon canoe on a sandbank. Um, anyway, I am going up. You can probably tell by my voice, actually, you, podcast um, listeners, are the first people I've spoken to today. It's Sunday, uh, February the something, 4th. And uh, I am about to, I'm walking to work. I'm heading to the Madrid Arena where I'm going to commentate for the fifth day in succession on uh, this sport that five days ago I had never seen with the naked eye. Um, But now I feel thoroughly well versed in uh, the fastest growing sport in the world um, with the silliest name. But don't be fooled by the silly name because it's a secret delight and uh, I've been very privileged to be part of the Hexagon Cup paddle broadcast operation for the last five days. I have one more day remaining. Just a sense now that Alex Reese is hating his life. Not enjoying it now. Looks downcast, Alex Reese. They trail 5-7 in the super tiebreak and they've started dancing. Is that a bit premature? <laughs> Celebrations have begun early for the team in white. I suppose I should explain what paddle is because I, I can't assume that people know because frankly a few weeks ago I, I sort of knew what it was just from travelling to Spain and places and, and seeing these strange courts around in every little town and village because it's, it's all over Spain where you see these um, it's like a squash court stroke tennis court kind of hybrid thing and it's incredibly popular in Spain and in South America and it's got a really interesting history actually kind of it started in in Mexico and spread from there and uh, but it, at the moment it's a it's an incredibly fast-growing sport but it's kind of a, almost entirely Spanish speaking so South America and in particular Argentina and Spain are sort of where it's at and um, it's really taken off in in those cultures in those countries and some Major investors have got hold of it now and kind of want to want to spread it beyond those territories and across the world. So the weird thing about this tournament, which has been created out of thin air, if you like, by some people who are actually behind the electric Formula One series, Formula E, same people, same investors. They've created this event, they've attracted the best players in the world, and they've created these franchise teams that are going to be involved in this Hexagon Cup. And they've put a million euros of prize money up, um, and the teams have... The teams have been created with this investment by Rafa Nadal and Andy Murray, uh, Robert Lewandowski, the Barcelona footballer, and even Desperate Housewives actor um, Eva Longoria, who I had to Google. Uh, and she's been here in Madrid for the last few days, adding a bit of kind of Hollywood stardust. Anyway, the days the days of common. So I, I was joking the other day on the podcast about, I think, you know, one of our Q&A sessions with like, uh, listeners' questions when someone asked me, 
what sport do you think would be the easiest to commentate on? And I kind of jokingly said tennis. Um, well, here I am. Literally, I've been approached to commentate on paddle. Um, and uh, it's not as easy as I thought. <laughs> it's been incredibly difficult. Every single day, the first three days, we were on air uninterrupted for eight hours. Yesterday on Saturday, we came on air at around about 10 o'clock in the morning in Madrid and didn't come off air until 10 o'clock at night, nearly 11. Something like 13 hours. I, honestly, I thought commentating on Milan San Remo or an entire stage of the Giro d'Italia was long. Because it was long, like six hours, six and a half hours is quite a long time to commentate on a bike race. But it's half what I've been doing here um, in Paddle at the Madrid Arena. It's unbelievable. Also learning a completely new way of commentating, totally different rhythm and everything like that. But I have to say, it's been absolutely brilliant fun. And today we've got like three different finals in three different categories and it comes to an end. Well, I am not in Madrid. I am in Aigle at the Centre Mondial du Cyclisme, UCI headquarters. I thought I was going to be here with Ned, but um, I found out on last week's pod that Ned's not coming because after his little paddle extravaganza, he is now on a Napoleonic tour of Paris with one of his old friends. So I'm here solo representing... uh, Britain's national broadcaster, ITV, as their commentator, their only commentator. And uh, so that's nice. Um, But yeah, I'm here for the UCI seminar for TV commentators. Give you a little rundown of what this afternoon involves. I got uh, a welcome lunch, which I'm just about to walk into. I have no idea who else is here, so that'll be interesting. then we have an introduction and welcome speech from Peter Van den Abuel, UCI Sports Director. Never heard of him till now, so that's probably useful to know. Then we have what's new in professional road cycling from Laurent Bezot, the UCI Road Manager, Organisers and Calendar, and Julian Chauvelon, UCI Road Manager, Riders and Teams. Then we have the Extreme Weather Protocol with Dr. Xavier Bigard and Laurent Bezot, as UCI Medical Doctor and UCI Road Manager. Now, actually, I think that was the last time I was here um, because I was the rider representative for when the UCI Extreme Weather Protocol was being created. Seems like a lifetime ago. Um, Then we've got medical update and concussion. Then some safer, improving the safety of road cycling innovation with Mick Rogers, former pro cyclist, who's now the UCI Head of Innovation and Cycling Esports, and Laurent Bezol, UCI Road Manager. Then a Q&A open discussion, which um, Ned guided me last week to refer to horse racing regards how we uh, deal with controversies at the finish line. I'll see if I bring that up or not. I probably will. And uh, apart from that, I'll see who I can catch here um, to have a little chat. This is actually a very good initiative from UCI because I think the main reason is, is to stop us from... Uh, basically just making stuff up on air about what the UCI are doing and um, generally slagging them off, which we really shouldn't do. Um, So hopefully, after today and tomorrow's seminar, I will be able to inform our viewers exactly of what the UCI are doing behind the scenes to improve professional road racing. Right, I'm off. Have you ever heard of a famous podcast called Never Strays Far with Pete Kenyuk, David Miller and Ned Bolton? No, I haven't yet, but I did right now. 
Fantastic. <laughs> Maori and Drini is my co has been my co-commentator for the first four days and into the fifth day at the Hexagon Cup. Maori is from Argentina, which yes. you'd never guess because he's like quite shy. <laughs> yeah, you he's could tell. Yeah, you yeah, could tell. Quite yeah, a yeah. quiet guy. Hasn't got. Doesn't talk very much. He's a bit pasty. He doesn't have a kind of olive complexion. He doesn't look naturally fit. He hasn't got great teeth. Um, yeah, no, he's just a classic Argentinian man, really, aren't you? Yeah, man, how are you doing? Thank you. Thank you for joining me into your fantastic uh, podcast. I should say, so Mar Mary's been, uh, like, honestly, I couldn't have done this job. I could literally not have done this job without Mary holding my hand alongside me. Mary used to play paddle. Uh, at a high level, Not a world world junior champion, Mary. Yes, yes, yes. I was well long ago, around twenty five years ago. Doesn't matter. In, in, well, world champion, two thousand. Yeah, yeah. World world, world champion. champion. Under under eighteen. Yeah, beating some of the guys who are, which are, we are watching right now. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and then what went wrong? Well, was actually, you know, <laughs> wines and that stuff. You know, I'm that, I'm not that good at uh, being very very professional. I like other stuff in life. So yeah. But, now, but then, but then he went on to become um, a, a coach, top cop, top cop coach. What's your coaching company called? The Concha. Hello, 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 hello Paddle Academy. Hello, Paddle Academy. It's the only two things I knew how to say when I arrived to the uh, to, to the UK. Hello, was, hello, I'm to play paddle, and that's it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's how I started, and uh, yeah, and then was people talking. Oh, my, how are you doing, buddy? Uh, <laughs> my name is Pia. Pia, what do you mean? <laughs> well, yeah, it was a little bit hard in the beginning, but then I got used to it. And yeah, after five years living in the UK, gave me a massive opportunity to work worldwide, to learn some English. And even though my English is not perfect, That's but very least, good, Mary. Yeah, it's better than your Spanish, perhaps. Yeah, and maybe. That, uh, yeah, maybe. That, and yeah, at some point, Paddle has been growing massively worldwide. And that's giving me the chance to, to live for what I love to do, you know. And you could tell after 12 hours non-stop talking uh, about Paddle in this event. Now, was that the moment? Was that the moment? I got no breathe. Could be. I got no breathe anymore. <gasps> yeah. Alex Reese, <laughs> a lack of composure there, and he knows it. Never and giving up. He's susceptible to those moments, and that's the difference between him and the other. No, it does his leg. And yeah, this great is honesty. Great honesty. Match point to the ones that you've never expected, perhaps, in the second set that they will win the match. Have a look where they are. This is Tineno and Juan Tello ready to win the Hexagon Cup 2024. Saturday, we did 13 oh, hours man. of commentating. 13 hours. Yeah, but the thing is that we was not only 13 hours, it was that non-stop 13 non -stop, hours. Non-stop, except to go no to the lunch. toilet. Except to go to the toilet. Yeah, but how long did it take I to you to go to the toilet? What, one and a half was, minutes? Yeah, no, but I, but no, two minutes, 15 seconds, I've timed it. <laughs> we have to run down the stairs at the back of here and then down another two flights of stairs to the toilet. In the dark, very dark. Yeah, danger, yeah, danger yeah, stairs, yeah, actually. And my voice, as you can tell, my voice is so broken that I'm drinking lots of water to keep my voice working. So as a consequence, I had to go to the toilet four times yesterday. Yeah, it's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy. But uh, Ned, I got to tell you, man, and, and, and I'm, thanks that you, that you said that you know that, that you like to be doing the commentary with me and so on. But Brilliant fun. For me, is uh, I mean, I, I, what I said just today, before we arrived here to the to the production of, of this fantastic event, I said, man, listen, if I, 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 I don't know how you do such a professional commentary. Uh -huh. Yeah, man, it's impossible. I, I just do my job, you know, I know about paddle. Yeah, I'm do. a paddle coach and I speak some English, that's it. And I I said to you, man, even though if I'm not here, I will be watching home 13 hours. You wouldn't. So that's why for you, I, I, I would say that it's harder because, you know, you come from other sports and, but, that shows that you are very professional in what you do. We, when we came off air yesterday, 
this is what you said to me. You said, well done. I can't believe you, ha you managed to watch Paddle for 13 hours. Uh, he said, you said, I would love to watch Paddle for 13 hours because you love it. And then you said to me, it's like me watching and commentating like 13 hours of cycling. It's, it's going to be just impossible. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I mean. You know, you might be talking about things that I have no clue about. And yeah. that, that now you're talking about Bandeja, Bibora, Lobs, Juan Martin Diaz. What the hell is that? A month Bandeja. ago. Bandejas. Uh, 20 but, days ago. Por tres, por cuatro. That's your Spanish, man. It's becoming yeah. like massive. I love bandeja. So explain what a bandeja is. Well, bandeja is a, is a very unique paddle shot. I would say there's kind of a, a smash, but combined with a volley, let's say. It's not a powerful smash. It's a placement smash. Placed smash. Placed smash, exactly. That. Vivero. Ah, vibra, vibra, vibra is a rattlesnake. It's a, it's, it's the, 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 the translation is rattlesnake. It's a kind of a shot that you play with side spin, with a lot of spin that the Flat ball over the net. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Vicious, vicious. No, it's been, <laughs> it's been brilliant, uh, um, uh, Maori. It's been absolutely amazing. I'm going to describe to the rest of our podcast audience exactly how they uh, play paddle. But um, honestly, are we going to come back and do this again? Do you think? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. I think this event came to work to the world of paddle just to stay for longer you know they've done a great job they're investing a lot of money because they know that the growth the, the, the growth of paddle is there yeah. for the next five years at least and big names are behind this event so and i think they're thinking to make like this and bigger i should say by the way you were also the great britain coach for how many years yeah seven years seven, seven years, years. coaching the national team yeah well paddle in the uk is not that big yet it's tiny but yeah it's tiny but it's <laughs> starting you know and it's starting i still with in contact with all of the players i just i, I left the team just because i my, hello paddle was growing and naturally i got to look after my academy my family my stuff you know uh because being a coach of a national team is not an easy task to do so i prefer just to look after my my family and my academy uh right to be coached the national team that it could be coached by a, a British guy you know yeah yeah who's your favorite Argentinian professional cyclist cyclist <laughs> who's your favorite <laughs> Lionel Messi ah oh, it's pathetic <laughs> and he had a, he had a great opportunity to say Maximilian Riquezi Max Riquezi the ah. lead out man for Mark Cavendish at Etics Quick Step you remember not really I'm not I'm not honestly. I'm not I'm not that gourmet sorry honestly, sorry. honestly. Well, which is your favorite paddle player Juan Martin Diaz. Exactly. You see, man, we, 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 we are very similar in one part of the sports. Yeah, very good. Thank you. No, oh, come on. This guy. One of them is saved. One of them is saved. Three match points remain. Because why not? Because make it that bit more tense. <laughs> wow. No. No. no Stupachuk no, no, refuses is... to lie down. And but there it comes. It's all over. The match is won. Team Advantage have closed it out again. They are the natural born winners in the Hexagon Cup. They know how to get over the line here in Madrid like no other team. Ooh. It's about uh, 10 o'clock at night in, in Madrid after day five of the paddle 
the Hexagon Cup and I'm leaving, I'm walking away from the Madrid Arena now in the reverse direction from the earlier um, little audio clip that you heard in this excellently produced feature which you are now listening to for reasons that probably only you can explain to yourself if only you knew why um, <coughs> having I have uh, I've completed my duties as uh, the Hexagon Cup's world feed uh, commentator on paddle and I have to say um, kind of loved it as well it was crazy long hours I mean crazy long hours literally I could have done Milan San Re- on, on the Saturday I could have commentated Milan San Remo in its entirety twice <laughs> Milan San Remo Milan like Parry Brest Parry they could have got to the Poggio dropped down into the Via Roma done a circuit I can imagine the circuit through the finishing line turn left down that square past the palm trees and the zone technique back along the waterfront and then along to the roundabout with the big San Remo um, uh, uh, sort of concrete um, what do you call it statue that says San Remo on it and then uh, gone back along past uh, the Nobel house and uh, with the Poggio on the left and then gone along the race route in reverse and, and ridden all the way back to a finish in Milan all that would have been possibly even slightly quicker um, to do than my Saturday adventure in paddle. It's a good game. So I've got to convince Pete and David somehow that uh, I wonder where where we're going to find a paddle court this summer in France that uh, we should play play paddle although I'm a bit intimidated by how good I can absolutely guess that uh, Pete and David will be because it's like wall ball but with a um, net and with a bat uh, um, uh, and they're quite good at that they're slightly better than me I'm not terrible at it but they're slightly better than me and the last time I played it I was two years younger as well oh no I was two years yeah last time yeah two years young I'm two years older now I'm older than I once was and younger than I'll be that's not unusual I'm older than I once was Younger than I'll be That's not unusual Yeah, that's the, that's the end of my paddle journey For now, but uh, we'll see where it goes from here And who knows, um, who knows One day I may be writing How I won the uh, How I won the paddle Bats There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So fortunately, I've walked in here and there's only a couple of faces. Well, maybe three or four faces I recognize, or at least know the names too. And one of them is Daniel Lloyd, Aka Lloydy, former same with a shared teammate, same old Garmin days, and the man behind much of much love GCN. Uh, Lloydie, how is it? 
It's all good. I just pretty. I'm not the man behind much of GCN. No. I've been there from the start, but yeah. For the racing side of like organising. Uh, yes, when we had racing, obviously it's gone. GCN Plus is, is no longer, but um, yeah, all good. It's a long time ago we were teammates now, isn't it? Is it 13 years? Yeah, a lifetime ago. So tell us, because I remember when it all came to light in November, December, all of us were devastated to see the demise of GCN as we know it. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's all the more apparent now the season starts and it's just it's gone back to medieval times of trying to find a bike race what's the journey been like the past kind of eight years building that and then having to kind of reset and and tell us about what's going on that journey through from retiring to now obviously we could be here for two hours talking about that but you know the kind of the cliff notes uh well starting with gcm plus i mean obviously everybody within the company was hugely surprised to start with and then massively disappointed um I understand the decision, and I think we made this clear at the time that you know it can be confusing, or it could be confusing when commentators have to mention Discovery Plus, Eurosport, GCM Plus. Doesn't really make a lot of sense. So I think what Warner Brothers Discovery wanted to do is narrow down how many apps there are to watch it, and they'll be launching on Max in the US. They're cycling soon. I think they've got something in the pipeline for Australia and New Zealand as well, which is currently you know really struggling to find where the racing is. Um, so it will still be the same coverage, you know, the same commentators, the same people you see on the breakaway. Um, in the UK, it's pretty easy. In most of Europe, it's on Discovery Plus. But yeah, it was um, it was a fantastic three years or so that we had that app. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've spent a long time in, in the media since we finished racing. Um, but I absolutely do, love doing the live races. I'm sure you do as well. Just watching it, you know, when you privileged enough to have it as a job and watch a three-week grand tour unfold in front of you and watch every single minute of it. You know, when you've got that privilege of having the time to put into it and, and watch it, it's like no other sport. Not that I've watched all other sports, but... Yeah, I mean, incredible. I felt the same thing. Cause, I mean, it was... I don't think I'd have watched bike racing. if I, I would have done eventually, but coming straight out and going straight into commentary, it was the first time I'd actually watched bike racing since I was a kid. Because when you're a pro, you don't watch it, you're in it. And you don't... It's obviously you can't watch it live. You're not going to watch the, the highlights in the evening. And so when I got to watch it, I was like, oh, my God, I love this so much. And it was the, and I think that's what's interesting when you get the former pros like you come into the sport to watch it. We see it with fresh eyes because you've been seeing it like first person in there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when you kind of get that helicopter shot and the motorbikes and we know all the stories and the different narratives, you, it's like this jigsaw coming together that you never saw before. Is that what it was like for you? Almost exactly the same, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I struggled at the start, but I, I probably lacked confidence to a degree because I was sort of acutely aware I hadn't been one of the top pros. And so when you're commentating, you're, I was half thinking about whether it wouldn't be right to be critical of somebody that was basically better than I was on the bike. It just felt a bit weird. But then you realise, you know, that all these riders have got coaches who aren't as good as they are on the bike. So there are still people who have an insight and an opinion on stuff that can give that. But I think it's interesting as the co-commentator because you have to sort of evolve. Because like I said, initially, you've got a load of stories that you know pop into your mind as things happen on the TV. And they're interesting to the viewer and the listener because they'd never heard them before. But there obviously comes a point where you've kind of got to the end of most of your anecdotes, unless you're Jens Fock, who seems to come up with them <laughs> decade after decade. And so you have to transition into sort of something else where you're, you know, you're deep diving into the tactics a bit more rather than just relying on your stories. And as you would have found out, it's really important to watch as much racing as you can every year because 
initially it's so easy because you know 90% of the peloton there's you know 10% neo pros that you're not really aware of but you learn about but within five years it's just an unrecognizable place so if you haven't watched some of the smaller races and these amazing kids coming up through the ranks you can get a bit lost I think oh completely I mean I was following the results this year and it's just newer humans every year yeah. it's just wild that's one of the one of the things I think I mean you're being pretty humble there's very few former pros we go into the co-commentary position which is the color in the kind of the pro thing but you also do lead commentary which is i'd be curious to know when you started doing that and how you have to shift between lead and color um about probably three or four years ago i think i did it for the first time um and it is a difficult transition because uh, i think matt stevens finds the same because he flips between the two as well i think you're so you want the audience to not think that you're thick <laughs> and and so you can end up answering your own question right. if you know what i mean like do you think it's a b or c probably c isn't it and it leaves the co-commentator with nowhere to go well yeah i agree with you dan you know that that is what it is so you just have to sort of take the ego out of it and ask a question that you know the answer to but to get the expert opinion alongside you i mean i don't do loads of it and generally when i do it's just to give the lead commentator a break in the middle of the Grand Tours because you know, since they've been live from flag drop to finish line, it's a long old stint to carry it all the way through on your own. Uh, so I just do that central bit where often not, not much is happening. I think it just takes a lot more, it takes a lot more research to have stuff down that you know you're going to talk about if there's absolutely nothing happening, you know, whether it's the local area, general cycling news the risk is that you are so determined to get through those notes that you've made that you then drift off and miss something that's happening on the screen you know people get very frustrated when that happens and they're like screaming at you like something's going on you're not even looking at it but it's you know it's a difficult job as you know and you can never please everybody everyone's got their favorite commentators and those they don't like so much but the advantage with cycling is there's so much of it that you can kind of spread the commentators out and you're always going to come across one that you really enjoy listening to. Yeah, pick and choose. So back to real life stuff, the kind of former pro meeting whenever we meet each other is like what you're up to and kind of you're doing sport, you're riding. And uh, <clears throat> it's interesting, you're what, a decade out now? Um, More? No, just 12 years, 12 years just yeah. over. And so I think we're hitting that same point because I'm what, 10 years this year where you were talking before about how up to now you've always needed objectives mm. and you kind of without the objective you can't do it which is very much a kind of a, a pro athlete mentality and yeah. um, tell us about the switch you've had because it sounds like exactly what I'm going through at the moment yeah I just I, I love work like those are the goals that I have in my head these days you know apart from family but I sort of live life to the full on the grand tours let's put it that way you know I, I just I it, the nice thing about what we do is that you get along with the people that you work with and so we just really enjoy each other's company you know for dinners in the evening and dinner turns into another drink and another drink and another drink and so I didn't really feel bad but I would got to the end of the Tour de France last year and I was just thinking well I'm not really exercising not really living a particularly healthy lifestyle like diet's always been fine for me I've never struggled with that we always have home cooked meals at home I eat well but it was just the other things like a lack of exercise sleep was no good partly due to the alcohol because um, I'd probably have sort of six, seven, eight beers every night and then I wouldn't say wing it the next day I was sort of quite lucky that I think probably like you I don't really get hangovers the next day so you can, can get through it and feel like you've done absolutely fine so yeah I started to sort of think to myself well you know, might not have any goals of a gravel race or 
you know, I've done challenges of GC and I'm like, how fit can I get in 10 weeks? That kind of thing. And that is kind of what floats my boat. Like I like that, you know, as soon as I've got a goal in front of me, I find it easy to tick off the bits. Especially when it's a social contract like that. And it's a challenge. Well, exactly. Yeah. You've made a statement to yourself and to sometimes members of the public. And so you've got to stick with it. It was the same when we were racing, you know, you had a goal and it was quite easy, not all the time, but you could work towards that. But I've, I've now realised, through listening to a lot of podcasts actually and, and reading quite a lot, about what you need to do at our kind of age to ensure that when you get to hopefully 80, 90, that you're still mobile and you can still live an active life, you know, and that work starts now. So I think I've got my head around, you know, the goal is not 10 weeks down the line now. The goal is whenever this life finishes and I'm going to, do my utmost to build up muscle, be flexible, get a higher VO2 max again, which for the last 10 years has just seemed pointless. But I've done that bit. Why would I need to worry about going to a laboratory and seeing what the VO2 max is? You know, those tests are horrible. But I'm now thinking a very different way. How's it been with you? Same thing. I mean, I fell in love with my bike again last year. And it was the same. I got to that sort of tipping point of unhealth. And, you know, it was, as you said, in my up to mid 40s was pretty bomb proof up to a degree and then started to notice my mental health being done my physical I was at kind of bottom most unfit most unhealthy I've ever been under 2022 and was just unhappy with with it all and so had this kind of big reset and this past year I've realized that sport's an integral part of my life you know I think it took nine years I think the 18 years of being a professional cyclist I'd forgotten why I got into sport in the first place and why I'd loved cycling and why I'd loved skating and tennis and all these different things. Sport was an integral part of my life. And then when it became a professional part of my life, it was a completely, it became, I loved it for the majority of my career. Towards the end, and I think that's the reason we all stopped, we're burnt out mentally more than physically. So when I got to the end, although my body was still prime, my head had fallen off and I didn't want to ride my bike and I didn't want to do sport like you said I didn't want to suffer I didn't want to go through all that and so sport became something that I didn't want to do and without it I kind of realized over time and recently that without it my head's just not right let alone my body Mm. and getting back into sport again this past year and and without setting goals without setting the kind of a goal that is quantifiable or has to have a, a a result, a target that I'm aiming for. It's just going and doing it yeah. for the enjoyment, which I'd completely forgotten about. And and so for me, this past year, sport's become a daily thing. And it's kind of running or going to the gym yeah. or riding my bike, mountain biking, road, gravel. And it's like being a teenager again. It's kind of, it's given me that outlet. It's given me that. And I've, I don't think I've been this healthy since my 20s, kind of just feeling so good in my body and it's made everything better. And it's, it's exactly like you said, and it's... <clears throat> I think more for me it was mental health that kind of was the primary objective and I was oblivious or I was completely blinkered to actually the huge missing link in my life was exercise Um, because I think for many of us and this is something I've thought about a lot is a lot of professional professional cyclists um, to become a professional cyclist it's quite an odd sport to choose because it's not a kind of social it's not got any social status in it you've not it's not teams at school it's not local clubs it's you do it because you're a bit of a loner and you probably do it because it's good for your head you like going out on your own and you like going on these adventures and then when you get into the professional sport that kind of gets taken away all of a sudden you're in a social environment there's everything quantifiable there's success or failure and over time you forget 
why you got into it in the first place. And so for me, that renaissance this past year has been the most wonderful thing to kind of realize that I am a cyclist, I am an athlete, I I just love doing it. A quote from you, and I've nicked it for myself over the last 10 years. Uh, I think it was you. It, it was something along the lines of, you know, if you're an ex-golfer, darts player or snooker player, you can, you know, hang your queue up for five years. And as soon as you pick it up again, you're better than someone that started five years ago and has played it every day. Whereas you can hang your bike up for two years and somebody that's been training their ass off for the last two years just kicks your ass, you know. So you, that's another reason why I was like, I don't know if I need to do this really, like... I used to be a lot better than this. I don't need to have my ass handed to me by somebody that's just picked the sport yeah. up. It's so true. And I think that, yeah, that was me that said that because it was that thing I'd see ex-footballers, ex-tennis players, racing drivers, they had master's events or exhibition yeah. things. And even if they weren't the best, they'd get glimpses of their genius themselves. Yeah. You know, and we never get a glimpse of our genius ever again yeah. once you retire from being a pro cyclist. And it takes quite a while to come to terms with that and let it go. Yeah. And so for me, it's taken a, decade to let that go to turn up to events like I did last year like the tracker or Cape Epic and and just line up and think I don't care what people think what I'm going to do today I'm just going to go and do it I'll start at the back and that's been a huge paradigm shift I had a similar thing with numbers I mean as you probably remember I was just sort of so I like numbers I like numbers I like the data and I enjoyed that when I was training but I found that that hard so hard to give up so I you know during these sporadic moments where I'd be back on the bike for a couple of months you know, there was one time in 2014 where we moved house and there's this like family single track trail near us that I was taking the boys around. And about two weeks in, I was like, I wonder what the fastest time around this track is. And I became obsessed for, I don't know, it was probably three, four months it took me to, I bought a new bike. I was like doing intervals out training and I eventually, I beat this record. The person who I beat then smashed me. I did it again. And he didn't seem to be able to beat it. And so I just stopped riding again. <laughs> and, it, and in subsequent times, I might get back into the bike. And it's normally not long before I'm like, well, there's a tailwind up here. I wonder what the Strava time is up here. And I'll just, you know, I'll nail it as quick as I can. And it, but again, I've just now got to the point where it's like, I don't need to do that. I don't need to prove to myself or to anybody else anymore that I'm all right on a bike. Also, and this is something you'll now notice and what I've realised is up to a couple of years ago, you could still get go pretty hard but my vo2 max now is actually naturally dropping quite significantly Mm. and so when i was younger i had that natural just innate ability to go deep whenever i wanted and pull out crazy stuff and that's gone so now that's almost now that's gone you're like okay i have a physical reason where i can't do that stuff it's almost like i've given myself a kind of get out jail free card well we um You'll be able to tell that I've been thinking about life longevity a lot recently because the most recent GCN show, depending on when this comes out, was about like the six key signs of living a long life and how they relate to cycling, you know, which ones you can get from cycling. And whilst I was researching that, you're, I found out your VO2 max generally drops by four points every 10 years from the age of 30, I think it is. So, you know, if you start from where most people would be, I guess 50, 40, you know, four points every 10 years, it drops it's a huge drop so if you can get it up towards you know 60 I've got no idea where mine would be at the moment I actually looked up my previous VO2 max test which was 2010 or something 2011 and it was 74 and I remember at the time I'm quite disappointed because you hear about the Le Mans of this world it's like well I should be 90 plus like you know almost beating the record Um, but in hindsight I look at that and think well yeah I, I expect it's dropped a lot since then so I need to try and get it back up before 
time and life takes its toll. How long after you started riding again did your mental health improve? Um, I'd say probably within a couple of months. So probably within a couple of months. I mean, I, th- I, yeah, I think once I got into the routine of it and once I kind of let go, all of a sudden I was enjoying it again. Yeah. Which was the biggest thing before I get on and I got my road bike and I still live in the same place from when I was pro and it was like ghosts of me past everywhere yeah. on the roads. And then I started to go out and just enjoy it for the sake of it and ride for the sake of it and not and I still do date I still love all the data like you I mean that never goes away but now it's I don't base it off the past it's more just a kind of curiosity yeah. and uh and so I yeah I think it and it wasn't just the, the bike it was running it was because like you when we're traveling it's a nightmare so I kind of started running again and I was like oh, I love this and that's interesting because that's almost a completely blank slate so there are no ghost paths for that mm. so it's that's like being a beginner it's a beginner mindset yeah. going in and it's like mastering something. And that goes back to my teenage years. One of the reasons I love starting these different sports, I love that journey of mastery, of kind of learning something yeah. new and going out. And, and so that's something I've realized is really important for me as well, is, is finding things that I'm starting anew and kind of taking the mastery journey, even though it's not going to lead to mastery. It's just that kind of the, that journey of curiosity and listening to running podcasts and reading up on it or gym stuff. And it's it's like the the whole longevity thing, like you're talking about. It's, I think when people hear or see the longevity thing, they think, oh, you're trying to live forever. It's not that it's just, how do I kind of, am I healthy, healthy for as long as possible? How can I enjoy the, yeah. the length of my life and and very much I think as well with all the mental health talk these days we so underestimate kind of how much we need to engage our body yeah. for our head to work because that's what we're designed to do yeah. and so that's been such a massive and it sounds ridiculous having been a professional athlete for 18 years and lived off my body if you like to be 47 46 47 and to kind of suddenly discover oh this is yeah. what I need to do to live a, the good yeah. life. I think that happens to people in all worlds, doesn't yeah. it? You know, get people working in the city somewhere and just tunnel vision on the objectives they have from a work point of view. And all of a sudden, you know, if you look at the average life expectancy, you've lived more than you've got to go. And so that's why you've probably got loads of mammals out there, you know, middle-aged men in Lycra. And I respect them massively now. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. I just thought, it's quite interesting. I find it really interesting looking at the difference between ex-pros when they finish because you get some like us that maybe turn their turn turn away from the bike for a bit and then you get others that just even though they're not doing it professionally anymore they just love it still you know Jens is here and he just loves riding his bike still and Matt Stevens loves smashing himself but isn't there a direct correlation in their mental health well yeah that's a very good point you know it's all those guys we see and we kind of at first we kind of take the piss out of them oh my god why are they still riding yeah and five years later you're like in a hole and they're just still doing the same thing except they they perhaps didn't burn themselves out as much or it didn't go straight into something but it's it's take i now have a lot of i realize and this is actually this is an interesting point when i in the 1990s when i turned pro they're kind of, they used to say, oh, when you stop, you're going to need a couple of years of keeping riding yeah. your bike. I remember Sean Kelly saying that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so what I didn't, I thought at the time they were talking about the physical things, actually it was about your mental health. Just keep riding your bike because you need to kind of slowly almost wean your brain off the endorphins, off all the 
the kind of the the neurochemistry that had gone on linked so strongly to those years of just peaking your body out. Whereas if you go cold turkey out it, you will sadly probably go down other routes of addiction or drug abuse, alcohol abuse. And yet if you keep riding your bike, it's almost as if you're self-medicating. And I had not, it's only now I realised that that was the old kind of way of doing it, was you were supposed to wean yourself off the exercise. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess Sean Yates was one of the most extreme examples. <laughs> Maybe extreme being the key word, yeah. 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 Just, not only did he not stop riding his bike when he finished as a pro rider, he started by kicking the asses of anyone that was in the team that he was running <laughs> or man- managing. And even when doctors said, look, it's probably a good idea for you to not push yourself this hard anymore, he just couldn't, you know, he was literally addicted to riding a bike. So, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's fascinating watching what ex-athletes do post-retirement and how much they still do it. So when's the longevity thing coming out? Do you know? Uh, well, so we did a GCN show on it, which came out last Tuesday, which would have been, well, yesterday, 6th of February. But I'm hoping to do like a series of videos where I sort of look at where I'm at right now with blood markers and VO2 max and strength tests and make sort of certain, you know, not, not, not like drastic changes, but try and make changes in my life that are going to impact that so that hopefully in six months or a year time when I go back and do the same test again there are indications that it's it's doing the right thing because I sort of you know there'll be people that watch that and there'll be people that are listening to this who are older than us thinking what are they talking about you know they're young still there'll be other people listening to this who we are old to you know we're veteran status in, in cycling and I always remember training with veterans when I was 19 thinking gosh they're old um, but hopefully there'll be something in there for everyone of like, you know, you can make these changes to your diet and the type of things that you're eating, or you can add this strength training to your cycling and it's going to have quite a big impact fairly quickly. Brilliant. So hopefully that'll happen. Brilliant. Thanks, Dan. Still to come in part two of Here, There and the Isle of Man, Pete Kenyuk reports from his attempts to run five kilometres very fast. David Miller ends up in a white van in Switzerland and has a chat with Jens Vogt. And Ned wanders idly around Paris looking for loose cycling connections in the company of an ex-goalkeeper, ex-rock star and a man who never changes his t-shirt. You literally only wear Jimi Hendrix t-shirts. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah. I do only wear Jimi Hendrix t-shirts. Today, uh, today you're wearing a uh, Jimi Hendrix t-shirt. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.